Last week we talked about um, God's overreaching story of all of history and then the application that we need to let God write the script of our story, not us writing the script. And I hope you've had opportunities this week to realize, whoop, this was my script, and okay, God, I'm giving it to you, and you write the script. Whether you give it to him or not, the script isn't going to go the way you want anyway, and it, it brings a lot more peace and, uh, and happiness and cooperation with God when we say, okay, God, that was my script, here's your script. And, and it really helps us not only in the day-to-day outworkings of life, but it helps us in seeing God's overreaching story from the very beginning of the history of mankind to where we are today and to the future as, as well. And God is writing His story. And we have the privilege to be uh, participants in that, and active participants in it. And in Genesis chapter 3, the passage that we read, is a major player in, in a major scene in God's overall story. In fact, as we, as we divide up all of history into the four segments, creation, and then Genesis 3, the fall, it, it's a short amount of time in history, but it's a major player in all of history. Creation, fall, and then the redemption, and then eventually the, res, the restoration. And, and that's in four simple stages, all of history, okay? That's just making it as simple as you can make it. And yet, it's key to understanding today, what's going on today. It's key to understanding the past. It's key to understanding the future. But in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we find really a, a, mountain, peak, um, a mountain peak prophecy. The first prophecy that is given regarding Jesus Christ, and we find here an explanation for what's going on in our society today, in our life today, and in Genesis 3.15, the curse came upon um, the serpent, the curse came upon man, it came upon the woman, it came upon creation, But in Genesis 3.15, we read that God said to the serpent, and, and you will see in verse 15, He said to the serpent, you'll crawl on your belly all the days of your life and eat dust. And in verse 15, God said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This was a prophetic statement that God made that said Satan would continually be at enmity, at war with the seed of the woman. Now, they didn't even know what they were really talking about. I mean, Adam and Eve didn't really comprehend all this. And this is how God works many times in His prophetic statements, that He made this statement, and really mankind didn't begin to comprehend the fullness of it until Mary, a virgin, brought forth a child. It literally was the seed of the woman. There was no human seed there. And she brought forth Jesus Christ. And this is the enmity between Satan and God, between Satan 
and God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And this enmity, it says that Satan would bruise Jesus Christ's heel, but that Jesus Christ would bruise his head. If, if um, someone came to you today and said, hey, um, you have to get bruised today. Do you want your heel bruised or your head bruised? Very few of us would say, oh, put it on my head. We'd say, I'll take it on the heel. Why? Because everything comes out of our head, determines the working of the rest of the body. And so what this prophecy is saying is, Satan is going to, in, in the sake of the analogy, is going to bring an injury, if you please, to Jesus Christ, but it will not be fatal. But Jesus Christ will bring an injury to Satan, and it will be fatal. And from the very beginning, God created this blessed hope to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned, and and God, yes, brought the curse. But in the curse even, He came with mercy and grace, and He revealed His heart and His nature He could have said to Adam and Eve, you're foolish, you disobeyed me, and I'm done with you forever and ever. But even in the midst of this darkness, God came with great light, great hope, great promise, and the promise of victory. And when, when at the cross... Satan bruised Christ's heel, and at the cross it seemed to be a great victory for Satan and seemed to be a terrible defeat for God. But when Christ arose from the dead, the serpent was crushed on the head. And what seemed like Satan's moment of triumph became the eve of his greatest defeat and final defeat. And we understand, since Satan was defeated at the cross, God can now offer reconciliation. This is the redemption. Reconciliation to guilty sinners and free them from Satan's domain of darkness. But also in Genesis 3.15, it tells us that there is this enmity between God and Satan. Now, Jesus, the reference here, is to the seed of woman, is to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and this week in our, in our study in the book, Glorious God, Glorious Gospel, the theme is about Jesus, the only Savior. And, and kind of laying the groundwork here, I just quickly want to mention Jesus is the only Savior for three reasons. He was the only one that ever lived a perfect life. There are many, many other religions on the face of the earth, and they have all been started by uh, some man or some woman, but none of them have been started by someone that lived a perfect life. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He is the only Savior because He is the only one to live a perfect life. Secondly, He is the only Savior because He is the only one to bear God's wrath. Someone had to take our place, our guilt. The wages of sin is death. Someone had to take that place. Jesus Christ alone bore the wrath of God. Jesus Christ alone bore the death that we deserve. No one else has. So, He was the only one that lived a perfect life. He is the only one to bear God's wrath. And thirdly, He is the only one to rise from the dead. No one else has ever risen from the dead. On their own power, the power of God, 
And he did it just as he said. For three days, I will be three days and three nights. And he said, but I will rise again. And, and when he did it, that separates him from everyone else. We live in a day that many people say <clears throat> that um, there are many ways to the Father. No, there's only one way. Jesus Christ is the only one to live a perfect life. Jesus Christ is the only one to bear the wrath of God and pay the penalty for our sin. And Jesus Christ is the only one to rise from the dead. But that truth has been attacked by Satan from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Continually attacked by Satan. He has tried... He has tried to prevent it. He's tried to do all sorts of things. And I want to go back today and show how Satan has attacked the gospel and how he still is attacking the gospel. Number one, Satan attacks the gospel. He attempted to prevent Jesus Christ from even being born. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain killed Abel. We look at that and we think, ah, sibling rivalry. We think not handling anger right, not, um, not responding to God's commands right. It, it's so much more than that. Satan knew that it was the seed of the woman. At that time in history, there were only two. And Satan, behind the workings of mankind, tried to wipe out what he thought was the seed of the woman. We talk talk about it like a story. Cain killed Abel. No, this was in the cosmic battle of Satan versus God. This is Satan striking at the very heart of God, thinking, I'll stop this whole thing before it even gets going. He wasn't able to do it. In Genesis chapter 16, and, and I'm kind of like skipping a rock across the, the water of history here today, but I want to illustrate to you this spiritual battle that has been going on throughout the ages In Genesis chapter 16, Sarah tried to cut short God's promised son. God promised a son through Abraham. You know the story. They weren't able to have children, and Sarah took it in her own hands. Sarah started writing her own script rather than following God's script. And this would have completely um, destroyed... And this is what Satan, Satan is behind everything that's going on in history and in the things in our world today. And I want you to see this. But God intervened in Genesis chapter 37. They tried to kill Joseph. Joseph was part of the lineage. They tried to kill in Exodus chapters 1 and 2. Tried to cut off the nation Israel by ordering all male infants to be murdered. But God intervened. This isn't just, you know, we we look at at these Bible accounts as stories, and, well, that's interesting, and God showed himself strong. This is the spiritual warfare. Satan is trying to stop God, but he can never stop him. Let me say that again. Satan is trying, has always tried. He's trying even yet today, and he will try in the future to stop God, and he never can, and he never will. But all of these accounts come into play in in the book of Exodus. Because Satan knew that Israel was the apple of God's eye, he tried to cut off Israel He had the Red Sea before them and the Egyptian armies coming behind them. And here's my chance. If I wipe out Israel, I can wipe out God's plan. 
And he surely had them. Except he forgot that God is the God of the entire universe. And he can make water stand up. And he can make ground dry in a moment. And he can let his people go through. And he can reverse everything he just did. And destroy the Egyptian army. See, Satan has always hated God. He's, he's hated Jesus Christ. He's hated Israel. He's always hated Israel. And, and in realizing this, in, in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verses 35, we read, Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and has fixed the order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that the waves roar. The Lord of hosts is His name. If this fixed order departs from before Me, then the offspring of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before Me. What He said is, Israel is more sure than even the stars and moon and the waves of the sea. He said, If those cease being, then Israel can cease. What he's saying is, Israel is the apple of my eye. And and from the very beginning, Satan has tried to destroy Israel because he understands that this is a matter of self-preservation. Ultimately, the survival of Israel results in the eternal damnation of Satan. Because, prophetically speaking, when Israel repents and nationally invites the Lord Jesus Christ as their Redeemer, Messiah, as prophecy says, Satan's plan to destroy the Jews, to destroy God's work, will be finally defeated. Christ will come in this second coming set up his kingdom, destroy the armies of Satan, and cast eventually Satan into the lake of fire forever and ever. So he's thinking, if this is in God's plan, if I can cut this off here, then it it will change what happens to me. This has always been his plan. He always hates God's plan, God's program, God's person, and God's nation, Israel. So, we read through the, um, the rest of the Old Testament and you find surrounding nations continually trying to destroy Israel. You come to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 2. Jesus Christ has been born and what does Satan do? He sends out a decree that every male child under two years old should be killed. That isn't just something to make the story more dramatic. This is a direct attack at Jesus Christ. If I can cut him off, this is the one that's going to bruise my head, Satan says. If I can cut him off. And that's exactly what that was at that time. You read in Luke chapter 4 and verse 29 that they attempted to push Jesus Christ off a cliff. Needless to say, they were unsuccessful in it. Why were they doing that? It wasn't just that they didn't like him. This was a spiritual warfare. Satan is trying to end his life. We read in in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus te- I mean, Jesus was tempted by Satan. And Satan knew if I could just get him in a moment of weakness, he's fasted 40 days and 40 nights. If I could just get him in a moment of weakness to sin, then he can't, he won't be the redeemer. I'll have him where I want him. See, it's, it's way more than just showing. It does show us how to respond to Satan's temptation. Jesus said it is written, but it's way more than that. This is Satan trying to derail God's plan. And he, he's still doing it today. And he cannot derail God's plan. Jesus is the only Savior. 
We read in John chapter 8 and in John chapter 10 that they tried to stone Jesus, but they couldn't do it. They sought to kill him, and they did crucify him. And as we mentioned earlier, um, Satan undoubtedly thought, this is it. We've got him where we want him. You remember, he sought to prevent the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? They sealed the tomb with the Roman seal. They put the, the guards all around it because we have got him where we want him. He said something about coming out, but we're going to prevent that. This is the spiritual warfare that is taking place. And it didn't matter. Death could not hold them. The seal on the grave could not hold him. The Roman soldiers could not hold him. Nothing could hold him. And up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. See, this is, this is the spiritual warfare that is going on. So they seek to prevent it. They lied about his resurrection. They came and told the guards, hey, we'll pay you money if you'll just lie. See, politics has always been the same. Money, bribery, lies. Money, bribery, lies. It's always been the same. If Just lie and, and say that someone came and stole his body and, and we'll take care of it. You won't suffer any consequences. They lied about his resurrection. Satan attacks the gospel by seeking to prevent it, but he could not prevent Jesus Christ from paying the penalty for our sin and rising again victorious. He couldn't prevent it. So now what does he do? Satan attacks the gospel by denying it. People say, oh, that didn't really happen. Atheists say we don't believe in God. Um... Theological liberals say, well, Jesus wasn't really God. We don't really know that he died. He may have just gone into a a coma for a while. And, And they seek to deny all the works of God. But it doesn't matter. Denial doesn't make it go away. They seek to dilute it. He couldn't prevent Jesus Christ, so they seek to deny it. They then seek to dilute it, adding something to Christ. Well, if you if you have Christ, but you need now our revelation. And, and you know, many, many cults do not deny Christ. They just say you need Christ and our revelation. Ellen G. White, that's what she said. Joseph Smith, that's what he said. On and on it goes. Many of them say, well, we believe Jesus was a a great teacher. No, Jesus Christ was not a great teacher alone. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And it's Jesus Christ alone. Anytime you add anything to Jesus Christ... For salvation, it destroys it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Acts chapter 4, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that's the name of Jesus Christ. If you add anything, Jesus Christ and baptism... Baptism doesn't save. You add dependence upon baptism and Jesus Christ, it's it's not right. You add Jesus Christ and good works for salvation. We'll talk more about works in a little bit. But no, it's Jesus Christ alone. Tonight we'll we'll talk, um, he said, it is finished. Meaning the payment is done. There's nothing I can add. Someone has said, every, every false religion says, do, do, do. Jesus Christ says, it's done. The payment is paid. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. So they dilute it. 
<clears throat> they, he also then seeks to distract from it. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 8, he gives the, the definition of um, the, the account of the parable of the seeds. And he said, the seeds that fell among thorny ground, the cares and the riches and the deceitfulness of this life choked it out. I find it interesting. It says the cares of this life. Do you understand? I would say the overwhelming majority of people today are distracted from Jesus Christ. They're too busy living their life in, in large portions of the world today. They're just thinking, how do I get my next meal? I, how, how am I going to feed my family? In, in America... It's, what am I going to spend my money on? What toy am I going to buy next? What improvement am I going to make? Or, or how do I take care of myself and beautify myself or whatever? And we are completely distracted from Jesus Christ. Satan's great tool is distraction. That people don't think about death. I mean... You look in our whole society, and, and it separate everyone from the reality of death. And we're distracted. We're too busy living to worry about eternity. And you think about people that you know. Too busy living. You bring up eternity, and it's like, oh, man, I've got too much other stuff that I'm worried about. So he distracts from it. He continues to attack it. Not only by denying it and deluding it and distracting from it, but I put that he poisons it through hypocrisy. There are people that profess to be Christians that poison the message of the gospel. By poisoning, I mean they make it in such a manner that, that no one desires it. James talks about it, and we don't have time to go into the book of James. But faith without works is dead. It's not saying you have to have works in order to be saved. That's diluting the gospel. It's saying if you truly have Jesus Christ, there will be works in your life. If you truly are a child of God, you will take on the characteristics of Jesus Christ. You will have the works in your life. And, and it's a dead faith. It, it doesn't show any life change. It doesn't show uh, the transformation. I am a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away. It doesn't show that. It shows maybe that we go to church, but people don't see a whole lot of difference between us and them. Um, maybe we don't have the same vices as them, but we're greedy, we're jealous, we're proud, we're arrogant, and, and we don't care for others. And they say, what's the difference? So Satan is successful in poisoning the gospel through a dead faith. He also poisons it through a joyless faith where there is no joy, where there is um, no living as though my sins are forgiven and Jesus Christ loves me and there is no joy. So, I mean, have you ever seen an ad? I'm not making Christianity into a commercial but have you ever seen an ad where, where someone says, buy this book, it will revolutionize your life. It changed my life completely. As you can see, the joy written all over my face. No. But, but we say, I'm a Christian. And I respond just the same way as everybody else. I gripe the same way everybody else does at work. I gripe about my wife and my husband. I gripe about the weather. I complain. 
I'm a pessimist with a capital P. Maybe it should be called Baptimist, huh? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Have you truly been set free from the power of sin? That should change our outlook forever. It doesn't mean there won't be burdens in life. There comes burdens in life. But in the midst of this life, He intends us to have joy. And Satan goes around and and we allow him to rob us of our joy. And, And so we're putting out these commercials so to speak, that, that reflect bad upon our Savior. There is joy in serving Jesus. The joy of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. So he poisons it with dead faith. He poisons it with joyless faith. He poisons it with compartmentalized faith. Yeah, we're a Christian here, Sunday morning. We're a Christian. We do the Christian thing. We go up and get ready, go to church. We go home. And that's the compartment there. We may add a personal time alone with God, another compartment. We may add a service or two during the week, another compartment. But then it's like, okay, now back to to life. And God isn't showing up in this area of our life. God isn't showing up. He wants to show up in every area of our life. You know, in the Soviet Union, under communism, they, they didn't care too much if you met in churches that said what they wanted you to say and you kept it in the church. If you keep it in the church building, that's fine. Just don't let it get out here in our society. Satan is always doing that. That's why there's this big push for socialism and communism. And it breeds compartmentalized and they even control it down and squeeze it down that there's nothing left there. But even before that, He's got us in our own lives. And many people don't put God in their home and God in their business and God in their transactions. We compartmentalize it. So, He couldn't prevent it, so he seeks to deny it, dilute it, distract from it, poison it, and he seeks to shame it. Oh, you're a Christian. That must mean you're uneducated. That that must mean, have you heard? That must mean you don't believe in science. See, that comes out, doesn't it? Believe in science? We're in a personal relationship with the one who makes science. We believe science. Science is observing the works of God. Science is observation. But they like to make people, Christians, feel like they're uneducated. And and so we feel shamed. Listen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs chapter 1 tells us. We also feel shame because we fear man. Oh man, if I talk about God with them, they'll think I'm some, woohoo, he's way out there, you know, some religious nutcase. I mean, I don't want them to think that. How will I ever, how will I ever win them? Well, you know, you'll never win them if you never mention Jesus Christ. And, and the fear of man, we're shamed. We're ashamed of Jesus Christ. We sang the song, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. It, it takes... A spirit of Daniel to be a Christian. And and we're, we're ashamed 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, not when we're in a group like this, we're not ashamed of it. But when we get out, we can be. And he also then causes us to hide it. The last thing Satan once broadcast is that there is deliverance, forgiveness, purpose, and victory from the bondage of sin. That's the last thing he once broadcast. And there's this spiritual warfare going on that began in Genesis chapter 3, and we've skipped our way down to today, and we're the ones on, on the stage now. We're the ones on the playing field, and he's seeking in our lives to poison it. I'm talking to us as believers. He's seeking us to be ashamed of it, and he's seeking us to hide it. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but they set it on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, see the transformation that God has made in your life, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are the ones on the playing field right now. Daniel's time has passed. Abraham's time has passed. Paul's time has passed. Silas's time has passed. D.L. Moody's time has passed. John Bunyan's time has passed. It's now us. We're the ones. We're the ones in this cosmic world battle between Satan and he's seeking to destroy everything of God. And, and now it's us. And you have been entrusted, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, you have been entrusted with the gospel. Wow, what a trust. This is an amazing gift you've given me. I'm going to hide this. No, you aren't given the gospel to hide it. We're given the gospel to broadcast that there is deliverance and forgiveness and purpose and victory from the bondage of sin in Jesus Christ. And we are given the command. We're the ones now. It's like in the ball game. You're in the huddle and steps into the huddle Jesus Christ. And he says, this is what I want you to do. Go and be my witnesses to all the earth. Ready? Break. And we go sit on the bench. I'll cheer for you. Go team. No. Who wants to sit on the bench? You never go out for a sport. What's your goal here? I just want to sit on the bench. Okay, go up in the stands. There's a lot of benches up there. No, I want to be in this. I want to be used of you, God. This is your command to me. And this is, this is in the big picture. Yeah, we can all gather here today and say, Jesus is the only Savior. If we all know that, whoop-de-doo. I'm not minimizing it, but yeah, we know that. But the reason we know that is because somebody shared it with us. Somebody gave you a Bible or somebody raised you up from a child and taught this to you or somebody gave you a track or somebody talked to you and now it's us. We're the ones that are here. And do you understand the people that don't know Christ have no hope whatsoever. And it's we're, we, get to, we, we get to be God's players in this program. We, we're, on, we're on the field now. We're, we're in the battle. And, and it, man, I would have loved to have gone into any wrestling match and knew guaranteed that I was going to win. Or pin the guy. Guaranteed, you're going to pin the guy in 2 minutes and 37 seconds. Really? Whoa, let me at him. We know the victory is already won. I mean, we know that. 
We ought to be saying, put me in, put me in. And if he has put you in his family, he's put you in the battle. And we go around trying to preserve ourselves. And God says, no, 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 you are to take this message. And greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. And you think about it. Who have you, who have you planted the seed of the gospel with this last week? Who have you, who have you gone before God and, and cried out to God to save their soul this last week, this last month, this last year? Who are you interceding? Who are you seeking to see turn to Jesus Christ? I mean, that's, that's why we're here. And you want to know the truth? That's why America's in the mess it's in today. Because not enough people know Christ. And we as Christians have failed. We become keepers of the aquarium rather than fishers of men. And I say that to myself. You know, in this grand story, Satan attacks, 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 and is defeated, defeated, defeated. And yet we act like, oh, we're just holding out in the bunker here. Hope he comes quickly. Oh, man. No. We have the power of God. And he's put us, Satan hasn't won one thing yet. I mean, you love to play a team that's 0-99, I mean, they've never won a thing. They've never even scored a goal. They've never even scored a point. Bring them on. But we cower in fear. Turn loose the power of God in His Word in your life and in the lives of others. So we're going we're gonna to close the service. You know, um, it comes down to us. Am I distracted? By all the things of this life? Am I given a mixed signal through a dead faith or a joyless faith or a compartmentalized faith? Am I ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Paul said, it is the power of God unto salvation. Why would I be ashamed of it? And really, have we been hiding it? Well, I'm not hiding it. Well, I, I set it up in my home We need to take it to the darkness of the world. We need to get the light disseminated from right here this morning to the darkness of the world. And it's important for us to realize this is my responsibility. Individually. It's not the church's responsibility. Well, it is the church's. And you and I are the church. We don't need to wait for some organized plan we need to take the gospel to the people that we know and in just a minute i'm going to ask us to bow in prayer and and there's going to be played a song just played over the speaker system people need the lord and i want you to think of the words of this song but i don't want you to just think of the words i want you to think of people in your life that need the Lord, and I want you praying for them. And asking God, God, what is it you want me to do in this person's life? You know, we can can study prophecy and know all about prophecy, but this person we work with is going to be dying in the tribulation and going to hell unless Jesus Christ is made known to them. And, And so... I want us to just bow our heads and close our eyes and listen to the words of this song and be praying for people that need the Lord. I can see it in their eyes. 
I pray if there's one today listening to this that has never called upon you for the forgiveness of sins, Lord, I pray today would be the day of salvation. And then, Lord, I pray for every one of us as believers that we would realize that you have called us to invest our lives, to give our lives. Because people need you. 
Lord, I pray that you would give us the love of you for the lost. I pray that we would have the courage and confidence and boldness of you to speak the truth in love. And Lord, I pray that we would just even learn to to see the lost as you do. Lord, we can live our lives so easily just living our life and never seeing people as lost and needing you. And Lord, we don't pray this arrogantly like we have you. Lord, we know it's only the grace of you that has saved us and that you've used individuals in our lives to bring us to you. Lord, may we be used as individuals to help point others to you. Lord, help us to to realize the brevity of the time that we have. And may we be fervent ambassadors of you. I pray that you would bring a stirring among we here today and among every believer around the world that there could be a great, great harvest of souls before you come again. So Lord, thank you that the power is not up to us. Thank you that it's the power of you that is at work in us. And Lord, I thank you that your work will go on and Satan cannot defeat it. He cannot thwart it. And Lord, we're thankful that the victory is guaranteed in you. May we fervently serve you in love, we pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Realize that people need the Lord. And we're not guaranteed how much time we have. We need a sense of urgency. And people need the Lord because He is coming again.